Welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. My name is Alistair Howarth. I'm the host today, and we've got a great one for you today. Red cards, brilliant goals, incredible atmospheres, some less so good atmospheres, as well as some cracking football. The CAF Champions League is back. We are at the semifinal stage. We've had our two semifinals played this weekend. There's been a lot to talk about. We're going to get going getting it diving into it and alongside me today we've got our resident football expert Courtney am I, am I allowed to call you a football expert at this stage how are you doing brother I think that's the only way you can refer to me. <laughs> the uh, only thing I, you I, should I, be I, referred to as I'm, I'm, a, I'm a football expert that has done very little in football <laughs> like we all have yes yes it's lovely to be here today uh, it's good to see you, and congratulations on your seven-year-old. Um, Seven-week-old. I'm not that. It's not <laughs> seven. Seven-week-old. Seven even make it. What? So hold on. Um, I wish you more hours of sleep. Uh, welcome along. Courtney's jumped jumped me a bit there, but Maher Mazahi, welcome along to the podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing good. As as Courtney mentioned, I've I've a newborn at home, so uh, kind of uh, all over the place. But uh, it's I'm very happy. I think that's the most important thing, and uh, enjoying the football that's being played as well. And I mean, it's impressive because you know, if I, I haven't had kids, but I imagine if and when I do, when I'm seven weeks along, I will I will not be doing anything. I'll just be exhausted and grumpy. But somehow you've managed to squeeze in an interview with one of the coaches involved, probably the most exciting coach on the continent right now. Coach Rulani McQuena. We're trying to get him on the podcast. We'll get him. Don't worry. Might have beat us to it, but we'll get him. Um, but you spoke to him. You did an interview for Al Jazeera as well as speaking to a few other guys around him. What What is Rulani like when you speak to him, when you interview him? Um, well, I should say that I did a lot of research for the interview. I had, I had like two or three days and most of those two, three days while I was holding my newborn, you know, up late at night, I was watching everything there was to have to watch on YouTube. Um, all the interviews he did with, you know, Robert Marawa, fella named Luyolo who has a, a YouTube show that I, I quite like uh, where they talk tactics as well um, and I've noticed in all of those shows that all those interviews before that he was very introspective he thinks a lot about the answers that he gives uh, not your typical football speak that you'll get you know from your run-of-the-mill player that says yeah it was a great game and we're going to try better next week he, he really thinks about what he's saying and I found that to be the case when I was interviewing him as well initially I'd asked for 15-20 minutes and we actually went more than I think an hour. I think he was still at the facility. It seemed like we did it from. I think it seems like he was in the change room some somewhere, uh, in Pretoria. They were getting ready to go to Morocco, but we just connected on that level where we had a deep discussion about football and about life in general. Um, and it seemed like he really liked that kind of conversation. So, uh, an impressive person as well as an impressive coach. And I mean, when when you look at the person he is, how impressive he is, you know that speaks for itself. When you look at the football Mamelodi Sundowns have played this season, they've been, in my opinion, the best team to watch on the continent. One of the best teams to watch around the world in terms of the tactics, the football, you know, the the style of football. Um, but we'll 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 get more into that as we review the games. Before we crack on into it, on Friday night, Al Ahli traveled to Tunisia to play Esperance in the first semi-final, and as always seems to be the case these days, Al Ahli came away with with the goods. When it comes to Champions League, doesn't matter how much they struggle in the group stages, whether they're one penalty away from being knocked out, they still managed to find a way to the final. Three goals, Percy Tau grabbing two, Carabra scoring the other, and, you know, Al-Ahli looking confident. But then the big game was the one after, the one last night, where 
Rulani and the Sundowns traveled up to Morocco to, to face Widad Casablanca, holders of the competition Widad Casablanca at home in that cauldron-like uh, atmosphere at the Mohamed Sank. And the game finished nil-nil, but that is very much not tell the whole story because it was an action-packed game. And kind of coming into this game, what were you expecting, uh, Maher? And kind of how did that play out on, on the pitch in terms of the way Sundowns approached it? I think it was pretty similar to what I was expecting. First of all, I didn't know what to expect from Widad because they had a coaching change last week. They mm -hmm. got rid of Garrido and they brought in uh, Sven Vanderbroek, who uh, I think we, we kind of know on the continent. Hugo Bruce's former assistant uh, during his time at Cameroon. Um, so I didn't really know how he would attack. You know, how, you only have one week. I mean, what kind of game plan can you implement with your players in, in a week's time? So I didn't really know what to expect from, um, from Widad. But from Sundowns, I expected them to even though they were playing away from home, to monopolize possession. I didn't look at the full-time statistics, but I know in the first half, they had the lion's share of possession. So they, they did get on to hold on the ball. And what I noticed is that Widad was letting, especially their defenders and Ronald Williams, they were letting them have the ball. They really started pressing and applying pressure around midfield. So they were okay with Sundowns holding the ball as long as it was far away from the pitch, which I thought was an okay tactic from Widad. But I thought Sundowns were the better side. They created the better chances. But the one question I had with Mokwena, actually, even during my interview, I asked him this is, I know when it comes to X's and O's and predetermined game plans, I know that you're going to outdo, you know, nine out of 10 coaches, maybe even more than that. Very, very difficult to, out, to beat you in terms of tactics. But when it comes to you being a 36-year-old, taking a squad of players to the other side of the continent, playing in that atmosphere, football is not just X's and O's. It's also, as Courtney will tell you, you know, it's, it's the, the pressure from the supporters. It's handling nerves. You know, how do you manage that psychologically? That's what I was most curious to see. And the fact that, they had two sendings off, I thought was a little unlucky, but I was curious to see how they managed that in the second half. And I think that was a good test for, for McQuinn. I thought they did a, a decent job staving off with that attacks. Uh, and I think they'll be okay with uh, a nil-nil away from home going back to Pretoria. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Courtney, it's very rare that we see a team travel to Widad, travel to Casablanca, even to play Raja and dominate a game in the way Sundowns did. And yeah, what struck me was, you know, they, 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 you know, they, in the first half, it looked like they were playing for the nil-nil, just controlling the game, not, not over kind of pushing things. You know, Peter Chalulule had a, a goal disallowed for offsides, but, you know, Sundowns weren't creating much, but they looked so comfortable. And what struck me is Neo Mayama, who's so important to the Sundowns team, so important to keeping things ticking in that midfield where they dominate the ball gets sent off, you know, first of all... Was it justified for you? Huh? Well, yeah, that's what I'm first going to ask. No. Court, Courtney, what, what, what were your thoughts on, on that red card? First, let's, before we go to the red card, right, um, let's just go back to something that we spoke about a bit earlier. What an advert for the game. Look at the scenery. Look at the stadium. Just look at... You know, I, I just felt proud as an African to be able to look at that and think to myself, my goodness gracious, we're putting on such a showpiece. Where's the rest of the world watching this? You know, it just looked beautiful. In the eve of the night, the stadium and the supporters, beautiful. And a game of that magnitude deserved that. Let's start there. The red card, no. I didn't think it was a red card. But decisions get made. What what can you do? Mistakes get made. I, I don't know. Something that Mahe spoke of a quite confidently about earlier on is Sundowns dominated the game. They looked in total control. But I also feel that it was a it was a, a form of managing the, 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 the play from the other side as well, allowing them to have the ball, just allowing them. There were no threat in defensive positions where they've had the ball. Um, but 
The first red card, I don't think it was. The second red card, you know, you can't actually count. 95th minute, you're not really worried about it. You know, it's not going to affect the game of play. We, we The game is shut down. Game's over. But he's lost two, uh, um, he's got two red cards, nil-nil away from home in a, I would say in a huge atmosphere and nerves and a crowd of that magnitude. Now they're going to come back to, to, to Pretoria. They won't have a crowd of that, of that size. They definitely won't, you know, they won't have that juggernaut atmosphere. So it won't be filled out the stadium like it was in Casablanca. It was just, I, I loved watching the supporters. I looked into the crowds and I was seeing, the fathers with their children, and it was such a good atmosphere. I was just proud to watch it. Absolutely, and I think I think we, you know, we should also shout out other places. You know, the last couple of weeks we've seen incredible atmospheres, whether it's in Argentina, kind of in the Super Clasico, whether it's in the AFC Champions League final. Both Al Hilal and Urawa put on some incredible tifos and incredible atmospheres, and it's brilliant that we're seeing it come back to us. But I mean. You know, that what I found so interesting about this game, Maher, was yeah, that that usually we see that red card as an inflection point. Usually, if I'm writing a match report, I'm like, Sundown's complete control. And then the tie got flipped on its head, you know, when, when Neo Miami uh, kind of comes in on that challenge. But nothing seemed to change. Yeah, Widat had a couple chances, but they still were only coming from set pieces or kind of Sundown's mistakes. And even Shalilile almost scored that spectacular goal. You know, what, what, how, how did, Mokona kind of managed that. How did how did Sundowns manage what what must have been such a tough position? I think we did, and I'm sorry to jump in here. I think we did helped him manage it because there was no real gagan press from them. You know, they they, they 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 were very relaxed in their approach to play. Yes, set piece wise, absolutely. So he he could almost keep the same formation that he currently had because he didn't need to. He wasn't being put under that intense pressure by the um, the opponents. Um, now, another manager at, at, at a particular time could have thought, no, 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 I'm making a sub. I'm putting on another attacker. I'm creating a bit more penetration in midfield and uh, offensively. The, 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 the coach didn't do that. And it comes back to, I think, something that you mentioned, Alistair, I may be wrong. How, how many weeks has this coach of Widad been in, in post? One week. Don't know the players, maybe. Just doesn't know anything at the moment. Getting used to it, up and running, taking him over the time. Absolutely. And and just on that point quickly, I know a lot of Widad supporters were disappointed with the lineup, especially some of the defenders, Abud Futuh being uh, a starter. And you could see that when he included, I'm not going to say better defenders, but more attacking fullbacks towards the end of the match, some of the crosses that Widad were putting in gave Sundowns a little bit of trouble, uh, especially the Algerian fullback, Hussein bin Ayada. Um, so, so perhaps, yeah, the coach being familiar with the team affected them. But I, I do think... To, to go back to Esperance as well, I think Esperance and Widad, throughout this tournament, I've been watching them from the group stages, they've lacked a little something in attack. It isn't the same Widad side that we watched, I think, two or three years ago. Um, and it isn't the same Esperance side of two, three years ago as well. I think it's quite clear to anybody that's been watching the Champions League this year that Sundowns, uh, Raja Casablanca a little bit, they had great uh, uh, results in the group stage, even though admittedly it was a weak group stage. But Sundowns and Ali have been the two for me, Ali, after a, a rough start, have been the two sides to, to look out for. Um, and, and just a final point, one one tip of the hat to Mokwena is that, as you mentioned, the sending off happened, I think, right before halftime. The first 10 minutes, especially, coming into the second half is when sendouts look the best in the second half. So again, that's for me, that's a, a mark of a strong coach is 
okay, you had the chance to speak to your players. How are they going to react in those first 10 minutes? And people know that, you know, the, the, the first 10 minutes of the half and the last 10 minutes of the half are very, very strategically important times of the match. So sundowns are quite good in the first uh, 10 minutes of the second half. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with all of that. What's really struck me about Widad this season, you know, I remember watching them at the, the Club World Cup when I was in Morocco. They, they just really struggle for that goal threat. You know, they really struggle to score goals. You know, both Lamkelze and Sambu just don't do it for me. You know, they're big target men. They offer a lot in that sense, but they don't offer goals. And even, you know, you look back to last year, like even in that game, the final, when they playing Alaska. It's a wonder they, goal. Yeah, exactly. They had everything going for them. You know, they had all the controversy playing at home. They had the stands full. And yet even then they needed a, a screamer from El Mutraji to take the lead. You know, for me, that, that's been their kind of real struggle that, to, to hope, have those goal scores. Whereas you look at Sundowns, they have, you know, what struck me was, yeah, Sundowns are playing this neat, tidy football, but, you know, their their best chance when they score is just, you know, a bit of a ball over the top, Shalilule latches onto it, kind of finishes. You know, they have that option and they have a ruthless goal scorer. Same with, you know, uh, Alakli, when you have Karaba, you have Tao, you have, you know, all sorts, you know. Uh, but I feel like, you know, we'd have missed that and that's what, what hurts them. I mean, for you, Maher, how much hope do you give them going away from home, you know, they have to compete in Sundown's backyard where Sundowns have been kind of supreme. Sundowns have one problem, is that away goals still count in the CAF Champions League. And nil-nil is not the worst scoreline in the world for Widad because if they score one goal in South Africa, Sundowns are going to have to score two, which I'm not saying they can't. They can do that, but that's what gives me a little more hope for Widad. I still think Sundowns are favorites, but the fact that Widad can sit back and absorb pressure. We know they can defend. We're, we have some doubts about their attacking. They can absorb pressure and perhaps, you know, anything can happen. They can score in a set piece. They can score in, on a counterattack. That's what gives me a little bit of hope for them. But I still think Sundowns are, are slight favorites. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they, the game is so well teed up now for next weekend for, for what will be an excellent game. As we move on to the other, it's slightly less so. Esperance losing at home 3-0 to Alakli. Obviously, Esperance playing in front of no one and in front of an empty stadium after they had, you know, they were given sanctions by CAF for uh, kind of some terrible scenes that we saw in, in the previous game. There was a guy with a chainsaw in the, yeah. in the, in the stands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just... with a chainsaw. I, I just <laughs> like to curse. think now. So forget, forget the chaos that we've seen at stadiums before. Seats being ripped out. Who thinks I need a chainsaw? <laughs> well, apparently, apparently it was in the uh, it was belonged to the um, the gardener or the the groundskeeper. He had a room that they broke into, and then they grabbed it from there. Yeah, so he didn't actually go to the stadium with the chainsaw. If that's mitigating, <laughs> I, I, I want to I know I want to know what the, uh, the groundsman's doing. With yeah, the what's chainsaw. he doing? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what's he doing with a chainsaw? Maybe he's trimming <laughs> trees outside of the ground. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Courtney, I'll come to you first. You know, this this Al-Akhli side, one thing that struck me is, is you know, our boy Percy Tao. You know, he, he's had such a, a difficult a career in many ways. The way he went to Europe, it didn't work out. He came back to Al-Akhli. There's been a lot of pressure on him. But this season, you know, in the Champions League, four goals, four assists. You know, nobody's got a better goals and assists return. Is he now actually starting to hit the heights that kind of were promised and haven't been quite fulfilled since he left Sundowns all those years ago? Well, hopefully for him, Alistair, his recent form shows that. Um, yes, he's, he suffered with some terrible injuries, and then also he suffered with the, the, the grey cloud of Pizzo leaving and people thinking that he's going to go as well, um, which didn't happen. He stayed on, uh, and, and well done to him for staying on at the club. 
two goals yesterday. Firstly, let me just say, nobody should lose 3-0 in the first leg of, of, of a semi-final. It's, it's almost un, unheard of. You don't have Messi in your team. You really should never lose 3-0. And I'm also going to say, and I think, Moe, you just said that, at home, 3-0. For goodness sake, what is going on? So I'll actually walk into the final, I think, uh, undisturbed. Percy Towers just improving his reputation up north. That you know, he I thought he was a world class player. I didn't think he was given a fair shake at Brighton. If I'm being very honest, he wasn't. The manager played him in one big game against Man City, and then hardly played him afterwards. Uh, you 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 won't find many people disagreeing with you here, Courtney. I was the same. I had so much hope. I, I, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his form that he's currently struck. And you must remember, big players hit big time at the right moments, and this is where he is. Semi final, two goals. Sundowns will be worried looking at that because I know uh, Rulani Makwena will be looking at his fixture coming up and he'll also have a delegation of people looking at potentially the next fixture. Percy Towers in form. There's a problem there. Look, even though Al-Ahli were clearly the better side and Esperance very rarely troubled them, Esperance had the lion's share of the ball in that game and Percy was doing a lot of defending and I hadn't seen him really... I wasn't expecting him to be that influential in that match while he was going to spend the majority of the time defending and defending well, I thought. So the fact that he was able to, to do that on the right side of the flank and then also score two goals. And my God, that second goal. I mean, wow. So, so yeah, hats off, definitely. And for me, that was a vintage Percy Tauggle. That was us seeing him at his best, you know, using his pace to get ahead, get the ball. But they kind of, in a very hopeless situation, kind of jinx past three or four players, fake shot, fake shot, fake shot, and then rifles at home. But, I mean, Terrible like, defending. Yeah, well, that, well, that's what I was going to say. Is, <laughs> is This is the one thing that struck me about Esperance is the defending was so lackadaisical. You know, even the first goal, just the ease at which al opened them up. Yeah, even even the chance that Percy Tower should have gotten an assist when he played through Karab. Like, it was so, it was simple football, you know. It wasn't sophisticated football by al but it just it carved Esperance open. The one thing, uh, to, if we're going to give, you know, Esperance any... Uh... Any, uh, if we're going to give them any leeway, um, they've had a very, very congested fixture list over the last three weeks, and they suffered some pretty significant injuries, especially on the attacking side of the pitch. So their left winger, uh, the Libyan international Hamdi El Houni, uh, who's probably been their best player over the last two years, uh, he was uh, he's been out for the last three, four weeks. Uh, their Algerian striker Riyad Ben Ayad uh, just done his cruciate ligaments, I think, two weeks ago as well, and they could have used his goal scoring threat. Um, the goalkeeper is usually Maaz Ben Sharifiya, and they, they brought in Debshi, and he was obviously at fault for the first goal. So I think there was a, a, a combination of three things. The fact that they didn't have the supporters at home and the fact that, you know, Calf came down hard on them. I think that maybe played psychologically on them. The fact that they had a lot of injuries and a, a pretty significant congested fixture list. I think those three things. But even then, give me all the mitigating circumstances as you want. Like Courtney says, you cannot lose 3-0 in the first leg of a semifinal. There are no, there's no excuses for that. Absolutely not. And at I, home. Yeah, I think that that's the wildest thing. And I, and I think, but in previous seasons, what we've seen is is their capacity, Esperance, when they don't play well, is to still find goals from from places. You know, players like, you know, Mohamed Ben Ramdan, you know, scoring when you don't expect them to. But there was just just none of that. And I think that's what surprised me. And clearly surprised the Esperance uh, kind of hierarchy because Nabil Malul, after the game, handed in his resignation. You know, another day, another North African coach leaving his post. I mean, it's it's the way things work. <laughs> I'll say this to you, right? It was a game that 
I think managers should be handing in their resignation. I, I think Atlético were all over them. Esperance were not in that game. I, I just felt they... I, I didn't feel they were... You know, sometimes this is a semi-final of the Champions League, right? You are at home. You, you, you've got to put up more of an active fight. I just felt that they were... They stood off Atlético firstly, allowed them a lot of time on the ball, I just didn't feel that there was enough combativeness between the players to try and stop them. And if you look at Percy Tao's second goal, you know, he goes, he fakes, stops. There's two defenders. They, they both stop. Then he goes, he fakes again. They stop. They both. Oh, hold on. Get close. Put the tackle in. He's on his left foot. He can only score with his left foot. You can almost hear the analyst. You, you're sitting in a studio. Well, from this point, he can only score with his left foot. So protect the left foot. There's two of you. One go a bit forward, one stand a bit off. It, 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 they were just asleep. Asleep. Just not good enough. Honestly, the manager's got to pack up, go and play in the Mozepe League. I'll take over the job with no effort and do better. <laughs> and, and again, you know, like, you know, we've spoken about how, you know, the injuries up front have hurt them. Defensively, these are good defenders. You know, these are top senior pros. You know, you think about Tugai and Maria... You know, ben Hamida, these these guys, they're not kind of new to this scene. They're not jokers. Um, but before we move on, I'll give you a last word, Maher, on, on Al-Akhli. You know, you were saying that they they stumbled through the, the group stage of the Champions League, which they very much did. But is this them now kind of get going through the gears, being the Al-Akhli we, we kind of all know and hate or love, you know, coming in into the business end of, of the Champions League? Because I think, if I'm not wrong, this will be a fourth consecutive Champions League final that they qualify for. When did Pizzo leave Al Ahly? Was it at the beginning of this Champions League campaign? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, what, what was yeah, it two it was, years it might last have been, year? I think it was towards the end of last season. I, I don't think it was between seasons. I do believe that this coach uh, didn't have Corey, that much yeah. time to prepare. Yeah, And I think they had, speaking of congested fixture lists, I, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, there, there was something, I think I don't know if it was the Club World Cup or what, what the case was, but I remember before the group stages, I remember them missing players i don't i don't remember what it was it wasn't the chen but it was something uh there so they, they got off to a rocky start as you mentioned you know losing to uh sundowns quite <laughs> that was that was a very significant Crash. result yeah. <laughs> yeah five two um and then i believe they also lost to el hilal from mm-hmm. sudan but yeah since then they, they had the uh transfer window they brought in some reinforcements and i think the coach really got a hang of his team and they look like they're organized now and when you just look at Players on paper, I think Sundowns have a great squad, but I do think Al Ahly squad is a little bit better. So I, I think Sundowns have the better coaching, maybe the better chemistry, but I do think on paper Al Ahly not only have the experience, but they have uh, the better players uh, on paper. So it's going to be those are my two picks for the final. I think it's going to be a great final. Yeah, I mean definitely. I mean, yeah, when you go through that Al Ahly side, even with injuries, with struggles, like it is, it is unbelievable the riches they have. You know, the amount. Of- Ali Malul, Ali Ujiang, uh El Shahad, Percy Tao, uh, easily, easily. El Shanawi, these guys could easily be playing European football. Absolutely. Easily, easily. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and even like Mohamed Abdulmonam, who came through at, Yo, at, at great, the AFCON last year, has been, you know, one of the best centre backs on the continent. Yeah. So I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you won't find many disagreements here in terms of they'll, they'll be in the final. I think Sundowns will as well. Um, but obviously, it's still nil nil. With that, still kind of have it in their in their genes to get through. But I, I think the big difference for that one as well, coming back to that, is also just the difference in their league positions and where the pressure is. You know, Sundowns have been PSL champions for the last two months. You know, like 
mathematically it was a couple games ago. Whereas, you know, Widad, you know, the reason why they sacked him, um, was it Garrido, is because they're struggling in Botolo Pro. You know, Asfarabat have done so well this season and are pushing them. You know, Raja aren't that far behind. So I think that plays onto it. But... I, sorry, Alistair. Oh, sorry, Courtney. You know, um, <laughs> I, I just want to make a point here. I think Sundown's success do- domestically is going to be is going to catch up with them and be Sundown's is uh, downfall. Because what Sundown's are doing in terms of the market here in South Africa is that they're just buying all the best players. And they you mean long themselves. term? Yes. So basically, they're making the league not competitive because mm. all the competitors are with them. So anybody else that's not in the league, it's just down to good managers that the the, the, the players are really fighting. But the top quality players are all at Sundowns. And I'm similar talking, to uh, Bayern Munich. In, yeah, in the big the big hitters, the big hitters today. Now Al Ahly don't have that. Al Ahly have competition. They've got obstacles, similar type of juggernauts. So they've got a pedigree of week in week out playing hard. On the competition and in the domestic league, Sundowns don't have that. Sundowns have won the league, I think, what's it, seven or eight seven, games ago? Yeah, seven. Uh, and as well as, yeah. how, it's what, six titles in a row now? Yeah. And, you know, if, so it'll be a long time before we can even envisage one of the other yeah. two Soweto te- the, the two Soweto Giants catching No, them. No one's going to challenge them. No one's going to challenge you. But what does that give you? That gives you, you are now going into games undercooked where you should be getting tested at, at the top end of the spectrum. Because you must remember, al Ahly are not a small team. They're going to come into this competition. If they if they get to the final, and, and, and I'm, we're talking possibilities here, <laughs> there could be a James Buster-Douglas situation in the next no. game with Redoubt. So don't <laughs> ever forget that. Don't forget that. So let's, let's, let's not say Sanons are through yet, but if they get through... I think I'll actually take the take the the tournament. I, yeah. I really do. I think and, they take the cup. And that's one thing I found really interesting about your piece, Matt, when you're interviewing Mokwena, is you you asked him about this kind of how how do you deal with the intangibles and how do you deal with kind of these things that you know you can't control in terms of the atmosphere yeah. playing against teams with such pedigree. And I found his his answer so interesting, where he's talking about you know he can't simulate the atmosphere of the supporters, but he can still try and put his players under the same kind of emotional stress. You know, what, what was, yeah. what was that about? What was he getting at when he was talking? About so that? what he was getting at is because I, I, I had actually, I, when I was asking the question, I was referring to North American sports as well. I made uh, two examples. Um, there's a basketball player, a former basketball player named Reggie Miller, who used to pay somebody, one of his assistants to scream in his face and insult him while he was shooting uh, before the game to try and make sure that he had that he was psychologically prepared and the other mm-hmm. one uh, was in North American football. They actually pump crowd noise into the uh, into pr- training sessions so that they can uh, familiarize themselves with hand signals when they can't hear themselves because of how loud it is in the stadium. Um, and I, I was telling him, you're going to go, in, you know, it's going to be a similar atmosphere in Riyadh. I, I went to uh, Mohammed uh, Five Stadium uh, for the f- final last year. I know I, I give 30 or 40 percent of that result last year in the final to the crowd. Absolutely. And what he was saying was that. He actually saw the same thing. Mikel Arteta do the same thing before their trip to Anfield, he, he said. So he had that in mind already. But what he was saying was that he did, couldn't really do that. But the way he would try to simulate pressure is that he would make training extremely hard in terms of um, working his players harder than ever in terms of like, even like in terms of doing drills, you know, um, overloading them basically with, with the difficulty, the level of difficulty that they, he said, I want to make training hard so that the game will be easier. So I, I just I appreciated the fact that he was 
understanding that there's going to be a psychological element to go into play over there in Morocco. It's not just going to be about the X's and O's. Um, because like I said, Mokwena, when it comes to, if football if football was football manager, then we could just line up all of our tactics like this and simulate the game and yeah. he's going to win every Easy. single match. Yeah. But look at managers like Ancelotti, like Zidane, like Mourinho. I mean, the, they're not maybe the strongest tacticians, especially the, the first two, Ancelotti and Zidane, but they're, you know, they, under, they get their players to play for them. That's one thing I was wondering with Mokwena is like, okay, you're 36 years old, you're a young coach. Can you get the players to play for you? Can you motivate them psychologically? How do you handle the intangibles? That's where I want to see uh, what he had in mind. Hmm. I mean, that's it's incredible to hear that. And, and we've seen, that's oftentimes where Sundowns have been let down over the last few years is when they go to these North African kind of clubs and, and struggle with the big ass. So, sorry to cut you off, Alistair. And the, 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 one of the reasons why I said that, I told you, I watched interviews of him before when he said, one of the reasons why I think Sundowns have struggled in the champion to win a Champions League title since 2016 is because the atmospheres they generate abroad are better than the atmospheres they generate at home, which is something that Courtney was hinting at before. So he he was very acutely aware of of that situation. I mean, yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna say that to you, Courtney. You're never is any Sundowns game in the PSL ever gonna get that atmosphere? Like you know, the only game I can think would be the Soweto Derby. So it's I I can't imagine the Sundowns game ever getting that. Alistair, you've got to remember, firstly, you've got to think of where is Sundowns actually in terms of location situated. Blue Bulls country, Curry Cup finalists every year, big, big team, big rugby team. Pretoria, capital of the country, very, very anti-football, if I could use that. So the stadium's never going to be full. It's not going to. What Sundowns should be doing with the backing that they have, is go back to a stadium that was a football stadium for them. That's what I'd be looking to do. Or So so their supporters, because at the moment, they're never going to fill the crowd. If I'm the Widad manager at this moment in time, yes, I've only been in job one week, I'm looking at that and saying, you know what, guys, we're not going to face what we provided this weekend there. It's a 50-50 game again. Let's get out there. Let's get out there. We we can get into these guys. They yes, they they are a top top team. No, let's not disrespect the ability, but they don't have a backing of a crowd like we had on the weekend yet. So that's actually an advantage. We don't have this. So um, I, I think in that case, Sundowns are, 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 are a bit behind. Um, I think that's something they need to improve on. I spoke very descriptively of what I saw in Casablanca at the beginning of the pod. Wow, you know, you, you could have put that atmosphere anywhere in world football and it would have been respected. Anywhere, you know. I'm trying to remember what the sign said. You know, uh, Mohe, can you remember what the sign said? I think the sign said, and I, I, please correct me if I'm I, I think it said a great place to die. <laughs> yeah, if that would intimidate you, I don't know. I, will. I, I, you know, I, I just, I just thought to myself, wow, you know, you know, and, like and you go back in the days of when, when Man United used to go out to Fenerbahce, and you know, when the mm. signs used to be up, welcome to hell, welcome to hell, atmosphere. Yeah. You're gonna go out to South Africa. It's gonna be nice. It'll be plush. Mm. It won't be full. <laughs> And even if that doesn't affect the players, that kind of atmosphere, sometimes it can affect the the referee, the referee, the match official. Maybe the Mayema is not a red card, you know, if if mm. he if he doesn't hear, you know, the whistles and he feels like I'm under pressure some way somehow, you know. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Sundowns are not the only South African team in continental competition. 
We also have Marumo Gallants who are in the Confederations Cup semifinals. We've had Dylan Curran. Is this a surprise in South Africa? Mate, it it is an unbelievable surprise. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like at at the 100-meter Olympic final, somebody challenging Usain Bolt and almost beating him. (laughs) That's what it is. It's unbelievable. It's... uh, I, I can't believe they did. Yeah, we, we, we've had, so the last couple of weeks, we've spoken a lot about gowns. We had Lawrence Kohler uh, come on to, to talk about them, who is, you know, speaking about how this is a team full of rejects, you know, battling relegation, potentially still might be relegated. Um, and, and as well as then, we've had coach um, Steve Kerr come on to talk to us about, you know, how things have gone since he's come in. Obviously, he's not been able to be the manager on the pitch. He's had to be a consultant due to visa issues. And so he's had to be oftentimes not even on the touchline dealing with these kind of issues. Meanwhile, Gallants have risen, kind of beaten some of the best teams in, in the in the tournament, you know, beating Pyramids, which is an incredible result. I think Pyramids, for my money, would have been one of the favorites along with Asfar Rabat coming into it. Then they've now come up against the, the new boys on the block, young Africans, you know, the, the newest kind of country on the block in terms of continental football, Tanzania, and they came up against like, Yanga. You know, Courtney, we were saying that, you know, you weren't super impressed by Yanga, but they got the job done in terms of beating Gallants 2-0. Listen, they, yes, they did. They, they, firstly, Dylan was absolutely livid, if I must be very honest, after uh, the first leg. He was. In fact, he was so livid that late that night, I think in his analysis, he sent me the clips of the analysis of how they dominated the game and said, I must start to share this out. And looking at the game, they had so many clear-cut chances, which makes him hopeful for the second leg. Um, But what you got to look at is what the other team provided at the moment. You know, yes, they were under pressure, but they came away with a 2-0 victory. They've got the goal... A goals in their bag. They 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 are ahead at this point in time. So um, the second leg being in South Africa, the same problems that I spoke about in terms of sundowns and 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 support. You know, there, there won't be a capacity crowd in any way, shape, or form. Even though the gates will be open and they'll be allowed in for free, they won't be. Um, but I just hope Marumo would. As Dylan said, a team of people nobody really wanted in South Africa. The team is patched together. I hope they get the job done. I mean, first of all, I want to. I think I, I referred to him as Steve Kerr. I think Maher, Maher's confused me when speaking about American sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm mixing him up with Steve Kerr. Well, I'll tell you something. <laughs> Steve Kerr's doing a similar type of job <laughs> in the basketball league. I think he's a good coach. He's slightly more resources than Dylan um, at, at well, Gallants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did. He but, but Maher, I mean, in terms of, you know, I was alluding a bit to kind of Yangas being the new kids on the block. They have also gone and won. Liga Kubara, uh, you know, they're a record setting, I think is it 20, 27th, 29th t- uh, title to, to, to seal the league ahead of Simba. You know, we we hear a lot of noise, you know, and, and I speak to a lot of particularly South Africans who are fed up with all the noise we hear online from Tanzanian fans. You know, they're a big, a big bunch coming in and Simba and Yanga are making a lot of noise, is doing a lot of good things in terms of building their brands, building their clubs. And we, you know, but we haven't quite seen them step to the highest stage. You know, we saw Simba come close when they got to the quarterfinals a couple of years ago, beat al at home. But, you know, is Yanga getting to the semifinals, potentially getting to the final, and probably the favorites in, in the final? Is this kind of the Tanzanian guys finally making that step to say, actually, 
you know, we have that pedigree, we have the capacity to play against the big guys? It's a good question. And I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't watched too much of Simba Yanga. I've just watched, you know, highlights from afar uh, this year. But my main observation is that, you know, even from speaking to Tanzanians, um, Simba's success over the last five years has been due to the administration and the amount of money they pump into the club and how professional it is. Whereas Yanga's very recent success is mostly due to their coach, the Tunisian coach, Nabi, who um, many people would probably put alongside Mokwen as one of the coaches of the year in, in African football. Um, Tunisia in general exports, I think, the most coaches per capita uh, out of any other African nation. They do a great job, especially physical, um, like in terms of like uh, physical preparation, recovery, they really are some of the best. So you'll have a lot of teams all over the continent hiring Tunisian coaches uh, for before and after the match. And, and Nebi is no different. So uh, his sides are, are typically well-organized and they'll, uh, they'll always be physically fit. That said, Tuni uh, one other remark I'll make about Tanzanian football in general is that I've just been so, so impressed seeing... I mean, everybody knew that they're a passionate country about football. I mean, you just post one thing on Twitter and you're going to be invaded by <laughs> their replies. But uh, just seeing, like, highlights of, of their league. You know, I watched uh, when they when they scored uh, their goal. Uh, Mudafar Yahya scored the goal last week to win Yanga the, the title. I mean, the, 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 we talk about SA maybe lacking some atmosphere in the stadiums. Tanzania is completely on the other end of the, of the spectrum. And what they've done over the last decade, really, in terms of First of all, they have street football, the biggest street football tournaments in all of Africa. They're like the Ndondo Cup, it's called, uh, where you get players from 17 to 23, and you get tens of thousands of people attending these street football tournaments. You have things like, you know, the big clubs like Simba, they have something called Simba Day, you know, before the season starts, where they'll, you know, promote the, the, the club and they'll sell a bunch of merchandise. And, you know, people have like, you know, their phone... Uh, uh, subscriptions are, are linked to their club. They, 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 they have streaming services, streaming every match in a Tanzanian league. Paying, people are paying $8, $9 a month instead of a blue check on Twitter. So, so really, like, I've been so, so impressed with Tanzania in general and the way their, their football has developed over the last 10 years. And I think it's not necessarily because of great governance, but it's just because of the passion that the people over there have for football. Yeah, I think we need to give a lot of credit to, to Azam who who run the whole the whole thing. I mean, yeah, I can watch some of the games, yeah, just streaming on my phone or on my computer. And, you know, they, they as a Kenyan, I take no pride in saying this, but they're doing us dirty because even this weekend for the first time, you could watch, you know, we had the Mashameji Derby, the biggest derby in Kenya, which, you know, again, 30, 40, 50 years ago between AFC Leopard and Gormahia would be one of the biggest games on the continent. You'd be, you know, tens of thousand fans and, you know, Kenya has fallen by the wayside. And now to the point where we have a Tanzanian broadcaster broadcasting our games. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I take, yeah, I take no pleasure in saying that. But they, they've done they've done it so well. And, and yeah, yeah, and we're seeing the, the just rewards in terms of that, in terms of the performance of Yanga and Simba, in terms of the way they've caught up. I mean, yeah, I, especially looking, and as well as for me, what struck me, particularly about this Yanga side, is the way they can attract players you know this is this for me oftentimes i say this is not a tanzanian team this is a drc team because you have players like yeah fist in Maele, who are you know top top players in drc making that move um and you know even players like stefan aziz key making the move all the way from is it burkina faso all the way to to you know and same with papesaco from uh from senegal going to simba so i think we have to give them a lot of credit i mean first of all courtney i just want to ask you do you think that you know, we, we, you know, Maher's talking about that physicality. And for me, that was the difference in that Yanga game is 
no, no matter how neat and tidy the football was from Gallants, when they played the ball up to to the likes of um, of, of Mayele, you know, the center backs couldn't handle them, and that physical side was the difference. You know, do you give uh, Dylan Kerr the any hope of of overturning it? Two nils a, a, a difficult lead to turn over. I didn't I didn't give Dylan hope to have so many chances in the first leg because the the easy way to 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 view this game here, Alistair, is resources against no resources. That's basically it. Dylan was telling us their preparations for this game, they couldn't even get a pitch that they could train on prior to the build-up in our, before they went out and played this game. They didn't. Then they come back to South Africa. They go and play in Peter Marisburg, my hometown. They don't have a training stadium. They, they're training at a casino, you know. And then also, I don't need to tell you about the situation where you had um, coaches being left behind in the stadium because of a bill not being paid. Basically, it is it is soft chaos. They've got no resources. So when we talk about playing ability and who, who they're facing, I'll, I'll say this to you. Um, they are my James Buster Douglas, as I mentioned a bit earlier. Nobody's giving them a chance. Nobody. Right? They've got absolutely everything against them. They've got a team with a lot of resources. You know, they've got a team that also, if you look at them, physically dominant. There's the other thing I was saying to Dylan, because like I said, early hours of the morning, he sent me, look at how we dominated the game. I'm saying, but set, peaks, set pieces and free kicks, this team, the size of them, you've got a problem here, which is taken into account. Um, I still think they go through, man. I don't know why I've got this feeling. <laughs> the, 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 fairy t- the fairy tale is there. It's the pretty woman scenario. Think of the movie. I think they go through. 2-0 down, they still go through. And, and I think, you know, as as, as difficult as a, that is, they've shown that at home they can do it, whether it's against, you know, they played uh, Tripoli um, from Libya in the qualifiers, you know, to playing pyramids. Play, you know, they, they've shown that when they bring teams home in front of a terrible crowd, they can still turn it on and do it. Uh, I, I mean, I hope, I think it'll be a good game. I would have them favorites to win the match. I don't know if I'd have them as favorites to get through. I think Younger will, will do it. But in a, in the other semifinal, we had uh, Asik Mimosa playing USM Alger, nil-nil after the first leg in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, Maher, being an Algerian, you know, I was looking at the stats of this game. Uh, USM Alger had zero shots on target with only three shots and had 35% possession. Asik Mimosa absolutely battered them. But having said that, you know, they pulled off an incredible result knocking out Asparabat in, in the quarterfinals. You know, how do you think they'll they'll do in that in that final semifinal and potentially in a final against Yangor Gallants? One of the things that has impressed me the most about USM of Algiers has been the kind of grit that they've shown, especially as you mentioned, that that away leg, uh, away to Rabat, who, as you mentioned, were one of the favorites in this tournament early. Um, they do have some very talented defenders, players like uh, Zinedine Belaid, um, Players like uh, Sadio Radwani is a great right back. Uh, Bushina, uh, also a, a good defender. So, you, look, in Algeria at the moment, the Algerian league is miles off of what it was 10 years ago. But you have three main clubs that, you know, pay their players on time, have great budgets, and are picking up what's left of the talent that's in the Algerian league. One of them is uh, Sierra Belouizdad, which Sundowns put to the sword quite impressively in the Champions League. And the other two are MC of Algiers and USM of Algiers. USM of Algiers, 
our side that have strong backing from a state enterprise and they have a good budget and they have a bunch of really good players. But th- their main strength is their d- defense, their goalkeeper, and their striker, Eamon Mahus. Eamon Mahus is uh, at the Chen. I think he was the leading scorer. He's yeah. like a, a tall point man, uh, scores a lot of penalties, uh, great in the box, uh, lot, very physical as well. So they're perfectly set up to get results away from home. The question now is, now they're going back home. We said away goals count. Uh, can they put ASEC to the sword? Uh, we talked about atmospheres in, in SA. In Algeria, we have 40,000 tickets sold out. So they were sold out three days ago. Uh, they're going to be playing, I believe, in the, either the Nelson Mandela Stadium or the 5th of July Stadium. I believe it's Nelson Mandela Stadium. And it's going to be a, a great, great, great atmosphere. So I think the fact that they have that going for them and the grit that they've showed, I do think they can um, get past this really good uh, ASEC side and into the finals. And uh, no shots or anything, but I hope it's against Gallants and not uh, Yanga because I think going away to, to Tanzania will be very difficult. Absolutely. And and again, just, just to pick up on that point, you know, we started this by talking about how brilliant it was to see those atmospheres. We're excited again to see the old format of home and away finals to, to be brought so we can enjoy those incredible atmospheres. And we yes. cannot wait to see another round of fixtures with full houses, whether it's in Egypt, hopefully in Pretoria um, or, or in Algeria as well. But thank you so much, Maher. Thank you so much, Courtney. If you if you, this piqued your interest in terms of listening to the content, there is so much fantastic football, absolute nonsense like chainsaws happening in African football every <laughs> single week. And we are here to cover it. You can follow us at OTW underscore podcast. I mean, for instance, you want to hear the absolute travesty and I don't even know what else to describe it as a story of 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 the Marumo Gallants having people imprisoned in a in a hotel in in Libya. You know, go back to listen to our podcast from last week where Dylan Kerr explains what happens, explains the ridiculousness of it. But there is always more to happen on this continent. There is always great stuff to be happening. We will be covering it, gentlemen. Thank you so much. For-